0: Welcome to Episode 30 of the PharmExec Podcast. I'm Kristen Harms, the Associate Editor of PharmExec Magazine and our podcast host. PharmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD, an HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best-in-class therapies. Visit qxmd.com slash dsa to discover how QSMD can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's qsmd.com slash DSA. So today we're going to speak with Anna Sundgren, and she is the Renal Disease Strategy Leader Global Medicines Development at AstraZeneca. Uh, Lisa Henderson, our editorial director, is joining me. And in our interview, Anna talks with us about cardiovascular, renal, and metabolic diseases and her journey. So we'll speak with Anna after this quick break. So every year, PharmExec profiles the Woman of the Year from Healthcare Business Women's Association. And the really cool thing is that this is the 30th annual HBA Woman of the Year. I'm really honored to say that I had a chance to speak with this year's winner, Sharon Callahan, for the profile in our April issue of PharmExec. Sharon is the Chief Client Officer of Omnicom Health Group and CEO of TBWA World Health, so be sure and look out for her profile in this month's issue of PharmExec, which you can find at pharmexec.com. Greetings, podcasters. Today, Lisa Henderson, our editorial director, and I will be interviewing Anna Sundgren, Renal Disease Strategy Leader, Global Medicines Development at AstraZeneca. Thanks for joining us today, Anna.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the program. I'm really happy to be here and talking about research and development in renal disease, which really is close to my heart.
0: Anna, can you describe the current landscape of cardiovascular, renal, and metabolic diseases, also known as CBRM, and the challenges to renal drug development?
1: I certainly can, Kristen. So if I um, first explain a little bit about the, the disease in general, um, about one in ten um, actually suffer from uh, chronic kidney disease, and it's a mind-boggling number. I mean, if you just think about who you know around you, uh, one in ten of those might suffer from chronic kidney disease, and they wouldn't even know it. And in the U.S., it's uh, about 32.9 million Uh, patients, actually, that that suffer from chronic kidney disease. And the deaths, they they have doubled since 1990. So it's on the rise. Uh, We have um, a number saying that it's the sixth fastest growing disease um, in the world. And the reason for that is that we know that there are three main drivers for chronic kidney disease. Um, You get increased blood pressure, and if it's not well controlled, if you have high sugar and it's not well controlled, or if you have ongoing inflammation, it really drives chronic kidney disease and what happens when you you have chronic kidney disease is that your function your renal function your filtering function in the kidney is going down over time when you're born as a child you're born with a certain capacity to filter urine and then over time you lose that it's a part of aging but when you have chronic kidney disease you lose that function faster and when, what happens when the kidney can't clear you from toxins and urine fluids, et cetera, um, you get complications. And these, these complications are really bad for you. I mean, they're, they're often life-threatening. And it's insidious, right? So you don't know that you're losing this kidney function. And often the patients don't note it until they're very, very sick. So the challenge really is about understanding that you're sick, being aware of that you're sick, diagnosing early so that when we do treat, we can treat to better or halting or stopping progression of this disease. But because there are limited treatments out there, um, it's really a vicious circle. So why would you want to diagnose early and and treat promptly, if you will, if you don't have enough armamentarium to treat with? So um, that's really the the life we're in. Um, When you are diagnosed with chronic kidney disease today, it's a slow journey to a really bad future.
2: So... What is the ultimate progression? I guess it's dialysis, is that? Or... Yeah,
1: thank you, Lisa, for that question. Yeah, absolutely. So um, dialysis was started to have patients stay alive longer uh, for so that they could get the transplant. And that's really why in the U.S. as in many other countries, treatments uh, for dialysis is covered by general health plans. But what's happened is that there are so many patients now that are, Seeing renal progressive declines, which means that there are so many patients that are needing dialysis that, in fact, many of them die out of complications before they are even getting a transplant. So that's the bleak f- future, and there's no there's no treatments that can stop this progression. So when you do get diagnosed with with chronic kidney disease, that the future is transplant or 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 death, essentially. So you
2: said that there, you know, why would you want to be diagnosed because you wouldn't have a lot of choices for treatment. Are there treatments or why are there not treatments? Why have pharma companies exited this space? And maybe why is AstraZeneca still in the space if it's if it's challenging?
1: Yeah, Thank you again for a really interesting question. I think that's asked it myself many times, and there's been little innovation here, and I think there are many reasons for that, one of them being a core one being that it's a very stable patient group. So um, if we think about a patient with chronic kidney disease, he has a low kidney function or she has a low kidney function, and what that means is that they handle the drugs that they take, any kind of drug, differently, which means that often in clinical trials these patients are excluded, which means there's been no chance uh, to find um, drugs, new drugs, by chance findings in clinical trials, and so the innovation that's occurred um, in the past years, and 30 years, it's really more optimal blood pressure control, which we've seen ways to control blood pressure more, uh, more and better. And there's also been um, erythropoietin, which is treating renal anemia. Anemia causes uh, death, uh, cardiovascular death, and so those are the new the treatments that have been out there. But what we see is that patients still progress, they still uh, die of, of complications, and they still are in need of transplants and dialysis. And so while there are medications out there, they don't help enough, and so pharma in general have possibilities now with new therapies that, that show promise and this is both in treating the progressive disease as well as complications and AstraZeneca in particular we're very well pleased to be in this area.
2: Well that's good news. So what you kind of touched on why obviously we need the new therapeutics for chronic kidney disease but are there some on the horizon? What's on the horizon for these patients currently?
1: It's um, a very interesting area for CKD patients. In fact, there are several new therapies that are coming um, out on treating these life-threatening complications, one of them being um, uh, hyperkalemia. Uh, When you have a poor kidney function, you have difficulty clearing potassium out of your blood. And potassium is an ion that affects how the heart beats. And so uh, being able to control your potassium values in a selective way is a very interesting and new opportunity that's on the horizon. Another one is, is anemia. So the kidney actually produces a hormone called erythropoietin. And we have had erythropoietin replacement therapies or, or, or um, drugs that you can take by injections that, that give you erythropoietin. But there are new mechanisms out there now very close to being available to patients that actually uh, stimulate the patient to produce their own erythropoietin in many ways, it's a bit like being on a high elevation on a mountain so that the body can set the proteins to a need for a higher oxygen level. And those two therapies are very near um, uh, coming to the benefit of patients. And lastly, um, from the metabolism area, there's primarily one mechanism of action which is very interesting. It's a reuptake inhibitor of, of glucose. There's a, re- there's a pump that sits in the kidney that takes glucose back into the body, and there's been, this has been used for, for diabetes for a while now, but what we have learned from some of the studies done with this, uh, this mechanism, which is called sglt 2 inhibitors, is that they actually also protect kidney function and kidney progression. So those are the three areas where in just under a year, this will come out to, to, to the benefit of patients.
2: Well, that's excellent news. It sounds very difficult to be that patient, so I'm sure that's going to be excellent news for them.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah,
2: Yeah, really.
1: Um, I was just going to say and build on why AstraZeneca, I I think it was uh, you, Lisa, who asked the question before, Mm -hmm. why is AstraZeneca in this area when others have left? And I don't I think I quite answered that. And so um, AstraZeneca has been a company that's worked in cardiovascular disease, uh, metabolic disease, such as diabetes, as well as inflammation for many years. And so when I started working with renal disease here in the company, I made the case for that, you know, these are the three primary drivers for progressive renal disease. And so therefore, we're really well placed in being able to treat this new patient group. We have the right treatments, we have the knowledge, and we also have the relationships with patients and treating sufficient. Uh, And so we have emphatically moved into cardiovascular, uh, renal and metabolic disease, and we've even changed our name to CVRM instead of before, which we we used to call ourselves cardiovascular and metabolic disease. But now we're, we're firmly in this area, and we are we've renamed ourselves to CVRM, and We are going to launch globally two new medications for life-threatening complications this year, not both of them in the U.S., uh, but uh, one of them in the U.S. and another one actually in China.
2: Excellent. That's awesome.
0: We're just going to take a quick break for this word from our sponsor. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD an HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best-in-class therapies. Visit QXMD.com slash DSA to discover how QXMD can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's QXMD.com slash DSA. All right, so Anna, I understand that you were born in Sweden, and then you did a lot of research and schooling in Sweden, and then here in the United States. And then you earned an MBA, and now you're uh, here again. Is that right? Can you describe your journey for our listeners?
1: Absolutely. I I grew up in Sweden, and I studied there, and I got very interested in science uh, early on and got uh, uh, scholarships to do chemistry. And then I started doing both... uh, clinical and and, uh, pre-clinical research when I uh, moved over to the pharma industry. So I've been with the AstraZeneca group uh, of companies since um, 2001, almost 18 years. It's a long time, Uh, very long time. And um, the reason why I went over and did the MBA was that um, when you're with a company for a long time, it's important to grow and continuously learn. And uh, I had started working a lot with renal disease, and I wanted to understand what are the realities, what's the reality for patients in the world. And so uh, I chose an MBA program that um, had a focus on Asia, and I did my uh, thesis, my MBA thesis on access to new medicines in Thailand. And what was very interesting there was I learned a lot about different ways of dialyzing patients and how they manage. Uh, uh, kidney disease patients in the in the rest of the world, and I want to bring that back now to research and development here in the U.S. because I think there's a lot to learn from how countries that are quite poor still manage patients with chronic kidney disease. That's
2: fascinating. I I wouldn't even know that's what they that you could get a thesis in an MBA in that. That's really interesting. Um, so, are you? actually doing scientific research now, like in the lab, or are you managing it? Or
1: Right now, um, I am responsible for one of our development programs for, for one of our renal drugs, but I'm also responsible for the renal strategy. And I started that work about six years ago in the company to sharpen the argumentation for why we should formally step into renal disease. Mm -hmm. and uh, back then we were maybe like three people that cared about renal disease and now of course it's become a really important disease area for us so i'm not myself in the lab but i work very closely to the innovative scientists that we have here and and elsewhere in the company
2: sometimes we interview executives and they have very distinct a similar path you know they start with the science and the research and then they realize that maybe it's just not for them and then they, they move into that executive area. So it sounds like you really have a interesting combination of both. Do you miss being in the lab? Do you or you know, how do you view that um journey?
1: Yeah, being in the lab has its merits because you are always the first to know the data that you're generating and you can let your own curiosity and your own determination drive really what questions you're asking in a way. And it's extremely rewarding to be able to to do that. But when you are working with a new treatment for patients, there's another reward uh, because you see and meet patients that may be helped by something and you can treat, you, with your treatment, you'll be able to help millions across the globe. And so I think in my current role, it's more around making sure that we honor the needs that these patients have, listen to them, and basically do our best to provide these new medicines to them. And so there's different rewards, um, and both are, both are important. And, and in my journey, I certainly moved, and I think the trigger, I know the trigger, was my mom. So my mom, she, she died herself while on dialysis. And she was not eligible for a transplant and um, that was a turning point in my life. It happened in 2010. I saw how her life changed, how circumscribed she was. She wasn't able to do anything she loved. Her quality of life just plummeted, and um, I was so disappointed that there was nothing to do for her, and so it gave me a lot of direction, I would say, and a very strong purpose to try and do something for these patients, uh, even if I couldn't help my own mom.
2: Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Anna, but I'm thankful that you are able to do that, you know, for other people. That's very important. So, you know, for other scientists out there, and I guess, you know, I don't – I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not a scientist. But um, what, I find that, they, you know, I've heard that they have more uh, – you know, the personality is a little different. Maybe they, they like being, you know, in the lab. They don't necessarily – are interacting with people like on the strategic level like you are right now. But what would you advise someone that knows they kind of want to do both or they want to take that, and how would you advise them to get those skill sets or move into that role?
1: I think that um, the scientific role that you have currently, if you are a scientist or a clinical scientist or a clinician, try to follow your curiosity and answer the questions that you have at at present because, there's always a lot to be found and, and, and to be uncovered for any disease, really. It's not specific to renal disease. But if you are interested in moving more to a strategic role, you have to lift your eyes a little bit. You have to take in the world, listen to people around you and patients around you to see where there's applicability, for the lack of a better word, where there's where your research can make a difference. And... Uh, if you take the time to do that, um, then there's always there's always need for new innovation and new science. It's just a matter of seeing it. So lift your eyes and look around. Listen.
2: Excellent. That's thank
0: really you. great, Anna. We want to thank you for taking the time out today to share your story and insights with our listeners. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you both. It was very interesting and. I'm so glad that you take the time to listen to us because I really feel that these patients need new treatments and and getting out there and telling people about what we've done over just a few years, actually six years is not a long time, is very important story for myself. So I'm glad that you took the time.
0: And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs.
1: My name is Anna Sangren. I'm the renal disease strategy leader for AstraZeneca, and uh, my tip for you is if you want to work in pharmaceutical development and develop new medicines, lift your eyes, listen, and take in what the patients need.
0: Thank you for listening. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD. An HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best in class therapies. Visit qxmd.com slash dsa to discover how qxmd can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's qxmd.com slash dsa. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the FarmExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at FarmExec, on Instagram at FarmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson At lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.